Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Before I get started on today's Mortcast, I would like to talk to you about Carefree Cuisine. A brand new establishment here in Denver, Denver metro area, dedicated to giving you top eight allergen-free foods in a sterile kitchen that's frozen and ready to go from your freezer to your microwave to your dining table. Um, run by a former chef who, like, the quality is high, basically. Uh, it makes these meals tasty. Uh, there's a vegan line and soon to be a low-carb, high-protein line for people like me who are on a low-carb diet. Uh, I have really enjoyed everything I've had from Carefree Cuisine, and they are both healthy. And one of those things that, particularly during a quarantine when basically... Everything you're looking for is convenience. Not everything you can find is healthy. A lot of frozen meals have, are chock full of preservatives, and they're not fresh. They're not freshly frozen. Everything at Carefree Cuisine is fresh and freshly frozen and prepared directly in their kitchen. Uh, they are located in Littleton off of Bowles in the Columbine Shopping Center. Uh, you can contact them at info at carefreecuisine.com, and you can also reach out to them on Twitter at Carefree. Cuisine Carefree, at Cuisine Carefree on Twitter. And when you do, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast and the Mortcast sent you there. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I am, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. I am currently sitting outside in the outside studios of the Mortcast, uh, looking at a increasingly cloudy day, but it was great weather this morning, and... Uh, just enjoying the outdoors. So obviously, as per usual, you'll get to hear the ambience of various insects and birds because our neighborhood is now completely taken over by birds. Uh, today, I'm going to talk to you about two years which were glossed over in the Last Dance documentary, uh, which were the last couple episodes. We were talking about Jordan's retirement in 1993 and going to his eventual return in 95 to basically the 72 win season. Um, one of the things about Jordan-centric, this Jordan-centric world we lived in in the 90s, and I think some of you are getting a taste of it uh, with this documentary, is that the two years without Jordan tend to get the, the big asterisk next to him, and people don't remember them correctly. Uh, those two years were wacky and wild and, and featured some of the best parody we've ever had in the NBA. Uh, as I discussed in a couple podcasts ago, the, the, the league in 1995 dramatically changed. Uh, Canadian expansion in uh, 1995 basically destroyed the league. Um, coinciding with a lot of the major players of the era getting older. Um, it diluted the talent, and the quality of play in the NBA just took a nosedive in the late 90s into the early 2000s. And it really took 
um, accumulation of draft picks from 1997 to uh, 2003 to reshape the league, um, to make it a better league. But from that six, seven-year period, well, eight-year period from 95-2003 was fundamentally changed and not altered for the better due to expansion. The, the quality of play just got worse and worse and worse. And some of the worst play was in the 95-96 season. However, between Jordan's retirement in September of 1993 to when he eventually returned, and they, this is another thing, they, they, it's, it was a throwaway thing. That Bulls team that he came back to in 1994-95 was not that good. There was no way he could have saved that team. Uh, that team was beaten by a much better team in Orlando. Um, the team that came back in 95-96 had Rodman, had you know Tony, Tony Kukoc, had you know, basically rejiggered their roster to become what they became for their second three championships of the 90s. Uh, 93, 94, 94, 95 were some of the wackiest, most parody-driven uh, leagues, or excuse me, years in league history. Uh, a bunch of stuff happened that you haven't seen since. Um, in a, in a way that maybe maybe this last season where everyone was so even um, was you know the nineteen twenty season before it was preemptively uh, shortened uh, by the pandemic. Uh, it, it was a you could say that maybe there was more parity there, but 93-94 uh, had a bunch of 50-win teams. Um, the talent was spread pretty evenly throughout the year league. And as I said, 93-94, 94-95 were the years, probably the final years before the stars of old, who began, came of age in the 80s and, and played into the 90s. This is right before they took a steep decline. Uh, Patrick Ewing spent the net the last half of the 90s being injured. David Robinson got injured in the 96-97 season, uh, which led to the Spurs getting Tim Duncan. Um, Hakeem Olajuwon, you know, kind of coasted on a, that, that uh, remnants of that Rockets team from, uh, that won the two titles in 94-95. They got Barkley and Pippen and uh, were trying to, uh, specifically Pippen came in 1998-99, or the 99 season. Um, it, it, it just wasn't the same. Hakeem started taking a steep decline in about 96. Um, and it, that's just what happens with big men. However, 93-94, you still had all these teams, that t- players that were playing good. Um, and you had a lot of evenness. Those Sonics teams took a leap. Um, you could make a very convincing argument that 93-94 Sonics teams was the best of the Sonics teams. Um, once again, notwithstanding expansion uh, in and their finals run in 1996, this that particular Sonics team had basically peaked Gary Payton and peaked Sean Kemp. And they just acquired Detlef Shrimp, and he really bolstered that team. They had Ricky Pierce coming off the bench, and Kendall Gill, Sam Perkins, who was a prototype stretch five, uh, who spent his, his earlier years with the Dallas Mavericks. Um, but it was just uh, a different thing. But they were very evenly talented with a good coach. George Carl is a, for all his faults, is a good coach. 
um, and they were they taken the Western Conference by storm. Two seed Houston Rockets, peak Houston Rockets, uh, one of the one of the preeminent teams of the mid '90s. Um, who knows what would happen if they would have faced Jordan's Bulls? Um, I tend to think Jordan's Bulls would have won, but you can't you can't say that any way way you know either way. It's just it's one of those great unknowns uh, in NBA history. The third seed was the team that went to the finals the previous years, the Phoenix Suns. All these teams won over 50 games, right? <laughs> this was, this, this, this Western Conference at that point was very evenly stacked. It wasn't, it wasn't as elite top heavy as the, as the East was. It was, it was, uh, it was really evenly spread throughout most of the conference. The Nuggets snuck into the eighth seed. And I do mean snuck into the eighth seed. And they were by far the worst team in the Western Conference playoffs that year. Uh, And they snuck in by winning. I believe it was they went on a streak of winning like four of their last five games to sneak into the playoffs um, at 42 wins. So 42 and up was the was the kind of barometer you're going by here in the Western Conference in the East. Um, obviously you had, uh, the Knicks, you know, you had the Pacers, you had, still had the Cleveland Cavaliers, um, and you had a surprise team that no one expected. And this is part of the peak weirdness of 1993, 94, the Atlanta Hawks, who inexplicably won, I think 50, six games or something like that that year they were a team that almost lost in the first round and one of the reasons one of the reasons there it was so wacky with them was because inexplicably and and to this day remains one of the most perplexing moves I've ever seen they traded um, Dominique Wilkins who was their best player still after all those years in the league Dominique Wilkins, they traded him to the uh, Clippers for, I believe it was Danny Manning, if, I rem- if memory serves. The Hawks were still a good team, but they, 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 they kind of cut off their nose to spite their face. And it became evident in the first round that they weren't that good. And then in the second round, they got defeated by, I think it was the Pacers. It was such a weird, weird year. First round, obviously, as we Nuggets know, first round in 1993-94, the Nuggets became the first ever team to be defeat an eight seed. I've gone over that many, many times. I'm not going to go over it here. It's well established that happened that year. That was was the peak of the weirdness. Um, In the second round of 1994, you had Phoenix versus... The Rockets, which was the one of the weirdest series I've ever seen played, um, I'm convinced Phoenix was a better team. Was the one of the best teams in the NBA in from 1992 to 1994. Um, in the 93-94 season, uh, they were basically betrayed by Charles Barkley's back problems. Um, Barkley. Basically, as of the 93-94 season, um, started having major, major back trouble. 
and that really hampered that Phoenix team, even though they were still really good. Um, they came into that next year with all their players a little older, a little better. Um, they were able to kind of have this gel of that team that went to the finals the year before. And if Barkley was healthy that whole year, I have no doubt that Phoenix team would have gone back to the finals. No, no doubt at all. But Barkley was injured, and they ended up getting uh, getting involved in one of the weirdest series I've ever seen. It was the Houston-Phoenix series in 1994, second round, where Phoenix won the first two games in Houston and then subsequently lost the next two games at home in Phoenix. Uh, that was, I, I think that is the only time that has ever happened in NBA history. That has never happened before. There's a lot of firsts in the 93-94 season. Um, but it was, it was, it was very clear as of that series that if Barkley was healthy, and if he was completely Barkley, um, they would have, uh, won that, won that series. Um, Barkley just didn't have everything he needed to have in that series. And that is where Barkley's perpetual decline into back injury hell began. Um, and he, you know, started getting into trouble. Um, it just, you know, Barkley's history is well known to most people who aren't, you know, 20 years old at this point. Um, it just, it, it became what it became. Obviously, you had the Houston Rockets who you know, were what they were. Uh, the Houston Rockets were a good team. It was the interesting thing about the Rockets were they basically were Hakeem. Um, they had Hakeem surrounded by good players. It wasn't Hakeem surrounded by one other star, kind of like uh, the Bulls. Uh, there was no second star on that Houston team. It was just a good all-around team uh, that had three-point shooting, which I'm sure analytics people will love right now, is that that was a Houston team shot generally more threes than most NBA teams of that time. And they featured in Hakeem, so it was kind of an inside-out attack. Um, it was... It, it, I've never seen anything like it since. It was just... There were so many wacky things that happened in 93-94. And I haven't even got to... The finals that year, which is peak wackiness, um, that finals, that seven-game finals, is misremembered. People only associate it for two things, low scoring and, most prominently, the OJ chase in Game 5. What they should remember it for is every single game was within ten points. It was every single game went down to the last five minutes of the game. It was one of the most competitive seven-game series I've ever seen. Talk about two extremely evenly matched teams. Uh, Patrick Ewing set the uh, NBA record for blocks in a finals in that series, even though he played on offense like just basically garbage. Hakeem Olajuwon had a great series. Um, It was it was a great series in certain games, um, and he had the block on John Starks in in Game Six to basically keep Houston alive. Houston, people forget this. New York was going to win that series with that 
John Starks shot, and he was unconscious in Game 6. John Starks was J.R. Smith 2009, uh, when he's just hitting, throwing up everything that is going in um, kind of thing. It was unbelievable. I've never seen a player take over a fourth quarter like that uh, in the NBA Finals outside of uh, Jordan. It was a complete and total surprise, you know, because John Starks was streaky in the best of times. But, man, he came on, and in every, basically every game except Game 7 in that series, Starks was, uh, took over in the fourth quarter. But Game 6 was unbelievable. And he ended up having a nice look uh, at a shot to basically win the game. Uh, at the end of the game, and Hakeem Olajuwon comes from nowhere and got basically a fingertip on that Stark shot in order to alter it and preserve the victory for Houston. Uh, one of one of the best games in NBA Finals histories. I suggest it's on YouTube. I suggest and me as someone who was a Knicks fan at the time. It's painful, not as painful as Charles Smith. And his getting blocked at the rim four times in a row, um, but it's still uh, one of one of the best, one of the best games. So you have the OJ thing. This is going on in Game Five. Uh, obviously, that has been covered. In there, Ken Berger in 2014 wrote a tremendous article on CBS Sports about uh, that game, about the OJ game, about the whole series. And I suggest you watch it. Now, he takes a more cynical view of it than I do. I fondly look down, look on that series. Uh, many people don't, just because the score was scoring was really low. No team scored over 100 points in that series. It was the 90s. That's the how things kind of go. Um, the next year, 94-95, features the emergence of dominant Shaquille O'Neal. And peak athletic Skinny Shaq is what I call him. Skinny Shaq. Uh, in Orlando, and peak Penny Hardaway in 94-95. Um, they uh, added Horace Grant that year and became a legitimately scary team. Scary team. Um, that is the year in the playoffs where there wasn't quite as much parity in, the, uh, in that uh, series, or excuse me, in that season as there was in 94, excuse me, 93, 94. But it did have its share of wackiness. Um, starting with my Knicks losing to the uh, Indiana Pacers in a, a just a knockdown, drag out, punch you in the face series that it's, I, I hate it and I love it. Okay. And this was the, this was the series where Miller wins, does the nine points in eight seconds thing, or eight points in nine seconds, something like that, uh, and just rips the heart out of Knicks fans everywhere, me included at the time. And uh, then they end up winning the series in seven against a team, a Knicks team that was beginning to show decline um, and beginning to show the effects of playing a brutal style of, pro- of play for four years under Pat Riley. Um, subsequently, Pat Riley, I believe a week later, quits the Knicks via fax and goes to the Miami Heat. And I'll never forget thinking at the time, why is he going to the Heat? 
they're not they're not anything. Why is he why is he going to the Heat? Well, then the Heat end up being one of the better teams of the late, latter half of the nineties. Um, so that happens. Um, you have um, Jordan coming back and making things a little more competitive for the Bulls. But like I said earlier, this, that Bulls team was not that good. Um, it was the remnants of that first run of, ti- of Bulls titles teams minus Horace Grant. And they really, really miss Horace Grant. Uh, one of the most underrated power for man who got overshadowed probably unfairly by Pippen and, and Jordan, one of the best power forwards of the of the nineties. Um, I'll we have uh, his nephew on this Nuggets team right now, but that 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 Nuggets team, excuse me, that uh, that uh, Shaq Orlando team benefited mightily from a huge emergence of Horace Grant in a way that. Uh, just made them such a dynamic team with Nick Anderson, uh, Shaq, Penny, Grant, just uh, Dennis Scott. That, that that team was not Dennis Scott. You know, was it Dennis Scott who was on that team? Or am I thinking of the former coach? Yeah. Or whatever. Anyway, um, <laughs> you don't come to this program for facts. You come to it for me droning on monotonously. Um, so that Orlando team just just was so good, and then they went to the Eastern Finals with uh, with Shaq and uh, and Penny and, and a great series against the Pacers. The Pacers won a lot of great series in the nineties, um, and then and they're prevailing, and then going to face a Rockets team that wasn't that good. Um, that Rockets team. I don't know how they made the finals. They came back big time against the Phoenix Suns in their Western Conference, and then they they beat a far superior David Robinson-led Spurs team uh, in in a series where Hakeem Olajuwon just dominated the crap out of David Robinson to a humiliating extent and became the first sixth seed uh, to ever go to a conference finals, or excuse me, go to a uh, the finals. That team added Clyde Drexler, um, but they weren't that good. They 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 were definitely older. Uh, they were definitely not as fast. They, their decline was very noticeable from the year before, um, and yet in finals number game one the. Uh, the uh, Orlando Magic, Magic look like they're about to win. And for, for whatever reason, I don't, I think if you've ever, any of you have ever seen this Magic moment, that 30 for 30, that uh, about the Shaq Penny uh, Orlando Magic, it will, it will show you Nick Anderson. I feel for the guy. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget, I was watching this. I was, what, 17? Uh, I'm, I'm watching this with my dad. And he kept missing free throws. I, when he missed the first two, I'm like, I, okay, that, that happens. They immediately, immediately gets the benefit of being fouled. I forget who fouled him the second time. And goes back to the line. And when he missed that first one, you could tell, oh, shit. 
Oh shit. <laughs> He's cooked. He's cooked. It's in its head now. And sure enough, he missed four free throws in a row in one of the most inexplicable losses in final history half history. That that Orlando team was so young, they could not overcome that. I I'm gonna submit to you right now, if Orlando wins that first game, they win the finals. And maybe their own history looks different, right? Subsequently, they go into the next year, 95-96, still win 60 games, and yet they ran into the buzzsaw that was the 72-win Chicago Bulls. Um, This particular um, team just couldn't make it, couldn't get past the jealousies, couldn't get past battling for whose team is it. It just, it's a shame because that Orlando team was fun. Fun with a capital F. And like I said, peak skinny check. Jordan had already come back. They knew that going into the 95-96 offseason, he was coming back. This Bulls team quickly retooled around him. I mean, I kind of didn't go over the fact that the best, um, Phil Jackson's best ever coaching job was the was the 93-94 Bulls, which won 55 games. Um, that team ran triangle like a like a clock. It was just bam, 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 bam. They were so good at it. They were so good at it. And they, obviously the thing they missed was Jordan. But that team was coached well, and that team was the beneficiary of what I would call um, it's one of the few times in the NBA where you could say a coach and coaching and a system was, quote, the reason why a team per- was the way, were the way they were uh, and ended up with 55 games, right? That was a team that was uh, benefiting from having the knowledge of having a system and knowing it from back to front. And, of course, that's the year when Scottie Pippen refused to go into a game and then Tony Kukoc won a game with a last-minute shot. That went over in the uh, documentary, but i got to mention them because that was, that, was a, that was a great moment, too. Jordan comes back for the 95-96 year, and uh, I think he himself admitted it, and I don't think that they went over this to sufficiently for the uh, documentary, but Jordan well knew that the league was going to be completely diluted in uh, 95-96. And it was. Um, That was potentially, and I've seen a lot of bad NBA years, and a lot of them were between 95 and 2002, 2003. It was some awful, awful basketball. And it coincided with that and the sudden, as I said to start this, the sudden decline of a lot of players becoming uh, old suddenly and frail suddenly. And the stars of old just began declining, coinciding with the lewd, the league, for some reason deciding that now that 95 was the year to exp- expand the league. And you can honestly say that the league overexpanded. And it wasn't ready at that moment in time for another expansion about five years, six years after their last one. 
So the league ends up what it was, basically, in my view, unwatchable for the next eight years. Yes, Jordan won, and yes, the league's popularity was huge. Uh, the league never got more popular than it was from 95 to 98. Um, the Jordan, the last of the Jordan three-peat was the peak of the NBA in terms of popularity. And almost entirely due to Michael Jordan. But let's not kid ourselves. That the league, as, it, as it, we knew it, was awful those years. And the league took so long to recover. And the Jordan retiring in 98 really was like, almost like the, 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 it's like the asteroid killing the dinosaurs. They were already dying off, and then that was the coup de grace. Um, this, very similar. This, this just, the league was not the same. And it took basically the 2003 draft for things to begin changing in the NBA and for a new era to begin. Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mordcast. I will be talking to you later. Goodbye. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.